I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week, we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, it's been a while since I've explained what I mean by outside the walls. And so we've got quite a few new listeners, and I want to explain to you uh, why the show is named that and, and what uh, what we mean by exploring the foundations of our faith and the implications, looking to the implications of our faith in our daily lives. Our Christian faith compels us to, to go to the least of these. In Matthew 25, Jesus talked about uh, those who fed the hungry and clothed the naked and visited those in prison and sick and saying, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done unto me. And so because of our faith, we have to go outside of our own walls, outside the safety of our church buildings and and to go and engage those who need Christ the most. Uh, this is less a, a self-help program in Christianity and more of Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, a missional uh, program as we have it. Not so much the radio program, but the, the Christianity as a program, as it were. Uh, we must go out to care for the least and the lost. But many people get caught up in, in the social aspects of the faith, the necessity to, to care for the needs of the poor, and they forget uh, that our social activism comes through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we have to be grounded in that faith. We've got a long history uh, in church history of of biblical interpretation and everything else that the church has given us uh, beautifully through the documents that they've handed down through the centuries. And so that's what we mean by being outside the walls is one, we have to go outside of our own walls uh, to care for the least and the lost. But then we also have to maintain that connection to our history. And there's a beautiful church in Rome called St. Paul Outside the Walls. And along the roof, along the top of the, right by the ceiling, uh, in that church building are these mosaics, little round, well, they're not little, they're these round mosaics of every pope that we've ever had, all the way back to St. Peter, uh, all 266 of them going around the top there. And so... This is indicative both of our call to go outside of our own walls and a reminder uh, of that beautiful church that connects us to our history. So that's what we mean by outside the walls. And today we're going to be looking at yet another, uh, another issue that our faith has something to say about. So we're talking with Charles Camosi later in the show. He is a professor, associate professor of theology at Fordham University and a prolific writer. Uh, He's written several columns for the Washington Post and for the Los Angeles Times. And so we're going to be talking with him today about abortion, uh, specifically the Pain Capable Act that's coming up in the Senate, and then also a little bit more about all the videos that have come out through uh, the Planned Parenthood expose videos. Of course, that is going to impact our discussion quite a bit, though it wasn't around when we set up this meeting. Uh, They have since come out and are going to inform our conversation a little bit more. But as always, let's start out this time together in prayer. Our prayer today comes from the breviary. I think it's from morning prayer, uh, and it's the intercessions. We give glory to the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in our weakness, we pray, Lord, be with your people. Holy Lord, Father, all-powerful, let justice spring up on the earth. 
Then your people will dwell in the beauty of peace. Let every nation come into your kingdom so that all peoples will be saved. Let married couples live in your peace and grow in mutual love. Reward all who have done good to us, Lord, and grant them eternal life. Look with compassion on the victims of hatred and war. Grant them heavenly peace. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, help us to seek the values that will bring us lasting joy in this changing world. In our desire for what you promise, make us one in mind and heart. Grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Today, the Church celebrates the memorial of the Queenship of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and so the readings today are going to be surrounding that. Today's readings begin in the book of Ruth. Naomi had a prominent kinsman named Boaz, of the clan of her husband Elimelech. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go and glean ears of grain in the field of anyone who will allow me that favor. Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. And she went. The field she entered to glean after the harvesters happened to be the section belonging to Boaz of the clan of Elimelech. Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in anyone else's field. You are not to leave here. Stay here with my women servants. Watch to see that the field is to be harvested, and follow them. I have commanded the young men to do you no harm. When you are thirsty, you may go and drink from the vessels the young men have filled. Casting herself prostrate on the ground, Ruth said to him, Why should I, a foreigner, be favored with your notice? Boaz answered her, I have a complete account of what you have done for your mother-in-law after your husband's death. You have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and you have come to a people whom you did not know previously. Boaz took Ruth, and when they came together as man and wife, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not failed to provide you today with an heir. May he become famous in Israel. He will be your comfort and support of your old age, for his mother is the daughter-in-law who loves you. She is worth more to you than seven sons. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the neighbor women gave him his name. At the news that the grandson had been born to Naomi, they called him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. That reading comes from several sections of the book of Ruth. Today's responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 12. See how the Lord blesses those who fear him. Blessed are you who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways, for you shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Blessed shall you be and favored. See how the Lord blesses those who fear him. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your home, your children like olive plants around your table. See how the Lord blesses those who fear him. Behold, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. See how the Lord blesses those who fear him. The Lord bless you from Zion. 
May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. See how the Lord blesses those who fear him. Today's gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Therefore, do and observe all the things whatsoever they tell you. But do not follow their example, for they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to carry and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love places of honor at banquets, seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and the salutation, Rabbi. As for you, do not be called Rabbi. You have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven. Do not be called master. You have one master, the Christ. The greatest among you must be the servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23. For our reading from church history today, we're going to come all the way up to the Second Vatican Council, and we're going to read section 39 from the Pastoral Constitution on the Church in the Modern World, otherwise known as Gaudium et Spes. We do not know the time when earth and humanity will reach their completion, nor do we know the way in which the universe will be transformed. The world as we see it, disfigured by sin, is passing away. But we are sure that God is preparing a new dwelling place and a new earth. In this new earth, righteousness is to make its home, and happiness will satisfy, and more than satisfy, all the yearnings for peace that arise in human hearts. On that day, when death is conquered, the sons of God will be raised up in Christ. What was sown as something weak and perishable will be clothed in incorruption. Love and the fruits of love will remain, and the whole of creation made by God for man will be set free from the frustration that enslaves it. We are warned indeed that a man gains nothing if he wins the whole world at the cost of himself. Yet our hope in a new earth should not weaken, but rather stimulate our concern for developing this earth. For on it there is a growing up of the body of a new human family, a body even now able to provide some foreshadowing of the new age. Hence, though earthly progress is to be carefully distinguished from the growth of Christ's kingdom, yet insofar as it can help toward the better ordering of human society, it is of great importance to the kingdom of God. The blessings of human dignity, brotherly communion and freedom, all the good fruits on earth of man's cooperation with nature and the spirit of the Lord and according to his command will be found again in the world to come, but purified of all stain, resplendent and transfigured when Christ hands over to the Father an eternal and everlasting kingdom a kingdom of truth and life, a kingdom of holiness and grace, a kingdom of justice, love, and peace. On this earth, the kingdom is already present in sign. When the Lord comes, it will reach its completion. 
That reading comes from Gaudium et Spes, a pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world of the Second Vatican Council. That comes from number 39. I love that reading there because it reminds us that the kingdom of God is not some far away pie in the sky thing that we pray for and wait for and look for. Rather, the kingdom of God is something that we usher in by our action today, right now, uh, by what we do in building fraternity, by what we do in caring for the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. These things that we do now usher in the kingdom of God, which is why in the Lord's Prayer we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer for God's kingdom to be manifest on earth in the very same way that it's manifest currently in the heavenlies. And so there's two different ways that we can be tempted to look at this. We can be tempted to see the destruction and the evil in the world and to close in on ourselves and say, well, we're going to come into our little bunker, our, our subculture, and we're just going to stay here and wait for God to come and to redeem us. And then the other thing to do would be to even give up hope for redemption later and just live for today uh, however you want. And the truth, as, as unusual, the truth is between the extremes. The truth is that, yes, we do experience evil in the world today. Yes, and we're going to be talking about some of that today with, uh, with the, the scourge of abortion that we have in our nation. Uh, but in that, we can't give up working. We don't say, oh, well, I'll just wait for God to come and redeem the world. We act now uh, to be intentional about bringing the kingdom of God to be manifest here on earth. It exists now as a sign And yes, it's imperfect because there is still so much in the world set against us. And yet we know that in our working for this, when Christ returns, it will be brought to completion. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Charlie Camosi. He's an associate professor of theology at Fordham University, a prolific author, and a frequent columnist in the Washington Post and the Los Angeles Times. We're going to be talking with him about the Paying Capable Act coming up in the Senate very soon and the Planned Parenthood videos that have come out recently. You're not going to want to miss it. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Got a great show for you today. We're talking with Charlie Camosi. He is an associate professor of theology at Fordham University, is a regular columnist in the Washington Post where I first encountered him and has also written for the Los Angeles Times. Charlie, thank you for taking the time out to to talk with us today. Timothy, it's great to be with you. So uh, we, we wanted to talk, and you've written extensively on this topic, uh, about the topic of abortion. Of course, when we first spoke, um, gosh, I guess about a couple of months ago, uh, and set up this time to have the interview, we were looking uh, forward and ahead at the pain-capable uh, legislation that's coming before the United States Senate. Since that time, we've had all of these expose videos on Planned Parenthood, as well that kind of uh, make our, our conversation today a little bit more interesting, shall we say? Yeah, for sure. 
So, so we're, we're talking about, uh, one, the, the moral issue. Uh, how do we, as a people who see this as a moral issue, how do we interact with the world and maybe uh, say some things that, that may bring some enlightenment to folks who have a completely different perspective, but then also uh, how do we, how do we proceed? You know, the, the traditional pro-life idea has been to pursue legislation doggedly, and that's certainly one aspect of it, but it can't be everything. Uh, so let's talk a little bit uh, here at the beginning about the Pain Capable Act, that thing that we first uh, agreed to talk about, and then we'll let the discussion go where it may. Sure. Well, um, I agree with you, first of all, that um, the last few weeks of Planned Parenthood videos being released is a game changer for how we think about the Pain Capable Act. I thought we could get, with the right amendments and some and some uh, good persuasive techniques, get the get the uh, act passed anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but with with these sorts of, um, I, I mean, I talk to people every day. It seems who are genuinely pro-choice, but who are deeply disturbed by these videos, and not in sort of like a Hillary Clinton running for president kind of way, but a genuinely <laughs> deeply di- deeply disturbed. And sort of like even asking me things like, um, you know, what can I read about this? I don't really like sort of right-wing pro-lifers, but boy, oh boy, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really disturbed by this. And so I think that's really um, going to be a really important thing as we go into the September vote that our culture is genuinely shifting, um, on, or at least could shift, is ready to be shifted on this question. Uh, and that's a very interesting thing. Uh, you know, from my perspective, it looks like perhaps that the the worldview or their their position in pro-choice wasn't really completely thought through because if if the life of the unborn really doesn't matter, then it shouldn't matter whether or not there's uh, medical testing used for that. And if the life of the unborn does matter, then it should matter in all cases. Uh, and so as you're finding people who are shifting their opinion, what, what are you seeing that's that's making the biggest difference? Well, first of all, I think it's important um, to really realize what a spectrum of views the average American people hold on this. The, mm-hmm. Most Americans are not in the sort of like abortion is the best thing since life spread or abortion is basically Nazi Germany all over again. Right. Most Americans are in a, really conflicted and really not very certain space. Um, 60 some percent of Americans want abortion to be legal uh, in the first trimester, but only 23% of, or no, it's 27%, only 27% of Americans want abortion to be legal past 12 weeks, wow. which, um, it which would be a dramatic, um, pro-life victory if we were to able to reflect you know, 73% of what Americans think about abortion. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they're just, uh, and then if you ask people, it's, you know, they don't really know a whole lot about the issue. They, they know enough to be conflicted about it, but you know, a lot of people think that overturning Roe versus Wade, for instance, would make abortion illegal, which is false. So, you know, um, a lot of, a lot of education needs to place, uh, take place. A lot of um, just very basic sort of putting in the front of people's minds needs to take place. And that for my money, is what the Planned Parenthood videos did most of all. It it took uh, an issue that people like to push aside and not talk about and not think about and just put it up front and center, literally, for you to look at. Right. So there's a sense, you think, of 
the extremes of opinion on the abortion topic have made people even reticent to approach it and and really process for themselves what they believe about it. Yeah, I mean, we've all, those of us who are, um, and I consider myself to be a pro-life activist, have probably dealt with this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not something that people like to talk about in polite company. If you bring it up, um, you often get eye rolls or, you know, people who quietly want to leave the conversation or whatever <laughs> it is. And understandably, it's a, right. it's a very, very difficult thing to think about. There are a million abortions every year in this country. Mm-hmm. And many, many people walking around that we know uh, in our daily lives have had abortions, right? And we might not know about that. So, um, so the, it's just yeah, the, a very deeply uncomfortable issue. <clears throat> and the statistics of the people who have had abortions, even from the people who who we see in, in church every week, who sit next to us, the statistics are staggeringly high. And you start talking about it, and you also run the risk, and I think that we miss this sometimes, uh, run the risk of getting into post-traumatic stress, uh, where, where people are have visceral reactions simply because of their own previous experience. And I think that's something that as we are activists for it, and I certainly consider myself to be one as well, that we have to keep in mind not to, not to avoid saying those things, but to say them in such a way that offers hope of redemption, right? That, that, uh, that we promote things like Rachel's Vineyard or other similar programs that, that help people process those emotions that they've dealt with and to find healing. Absolutely. And um, just put a period on that, say full stop, that's exactly right. But then let me also add something that I like to do, mm-hmm. also because it's true, but it's also just effective rhetorically, um, is to talk about how women are at every turn in our culture coerced into abortion. Absolutely. So almost always, almost always, for instance, there's something pushing them, whether a social structure or an actual person, perhaps a father, perhaps a boyfriend, perhaps a husband, perhaps just their hookup. Um, it's, it's often not what they want to do. And, um, our very social structures, in fact, um, uh, coerce women into having abortions. Imagine for instance, you're a single mother, um, who is barely making your rent payments and you have to decide, and perhaps you're even working, uh, in construction or, or in a kitchen or something that demands physical labor. Um, are you going to, uh, and you have no opportunity for childcare after this, you have no opportunity for right. For, to pay your rent, family leave, um, the, the social structures um, don't allow women to choose to to be able to work and to also um, be mothers, especially if they're not people of means, if they're poor. So, um, so at every turn, I think we need to hammer this over and over. We, we should be blaming people other than women for this. Yeah. We should be really blaming ourselves and our culture for this. Yeah, and and to. To really look to ourselves to say, what opportunities are, are we creating that will enable people to choose life? Uh, you know, one, Absolutely. one of the things pro-lifers get accused of all the time is caring about the baby before the baby's born and then ignoring the mother after. Uh, now, I work with a lot of, of pro-life clinics. I work with Catholic charities all the time. And so I know that we offer material and physical support. We uh, we make sure that all their doctor's visits are taken care of. We have clothing and and uh, diapers and everything else for them for three years past the birth of the child. And with Catholic charities, even longer than that, all through, you know, whenever someone needs assistance, they can go there and find assistance. But what are we doing to help them out of that situation to where they don't have to depend on and on, on Catholic charities or on other charitable programs uh, and still are able to sustain 
their their family. Right. And I mean, that's, that's one question, right? So what do you do beyond the three years and what do you do socially? Like when, when the kid's seven, are they going to, how are they going to take care of the child and also be, uh, be able to put bread on the table for their child at the same time now, but also as good as work as you're up to and that Catholic church is up to, it's not enough. Right. So there are a million abortions. There are a million abortions every year. Every parish, every family of means should be that claims to be an activist on this issue, and I include myself in this indictment, mm-hmm. needs to do more to help women and children in difficult situations. It's got to be like, just as we might go and hold signs or, or pray the rosary in front of an abortion clinic, we should be willing to welcome people into our homes, into our parish communities who are in difficult circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah. And so then that becomes really the, the indictment of our faith is not meant to be Sunday worship and, and potlucks, you know, our faith is meant to be uh, world changers, you know, and I've had this conversation with someone else recently. We were talking about the, the whole prosperity gospel. If you just, if you just love God enough, then all of your needs, needs will be met. And yet I look at people of true faith, like uh, Teresa of Calcutta, who went to the poorest of the poor and did what she could. I look at uh, St. Damien of Molokai, who really left his his home went to where someone else was and then embraced them in, in their indesirability socially. Uh, so then the question yeah. becomes, how does our faith change society? And it's got to change it at all levels. Mm-hmm. I know for some traditional Catholics, the, they frown on the consistent ethic of life because it uh, doesn't hold up abortion the way it should. I make no apologies for, being a consistent ethic person. And I yeah. make no apologies for saying that abortion is the most serious of all those issues, but we have to think about them together. Mm-hmm. This is what Pope Francis's insight was. It was what Benedict's insight was. It was what John Paul, Paul the sixth, John the 23rd. It, it's what Jesus's <laughs> insight was in Matthew right. 25, right? Like oh, hungry, you gave me food, thirsty, you gave me drinks, strangers, those in prison. There's, there's no distinction between vulnerable populations. You got to think about them all together and serve them all together. And when we, when we artificially divide ourselves up as, you know, well, I care about this and you care about that, it often is done so according to secular political politics and not the gospel. And that's, that's the right. thing I find most frustrating of all. <laughs> that's absolutely correct. Yeah, you, you know, the, the whole purpose uh, of the consistent ethic of life is saying that every person is endowed by God, by virtue of being made in his image as rational creatures, we're given an incomparable worth. And so we look for places, vulnerable populations all over. Where is that dignity being uh, suppressed? And how can we uh, draw light and focus on that dignity? And we'll talk about that when we come back from this break. We're talking with Charlie Camosi. Uh, who is Associate Professor of Theology at Fordham University and a, a columnist for the Washington Post, among others. Glad to have him on the show today. You can join this conversation over at facebook.com slash stepoutsidethewalls and on Twitter the handle is at outsidethewalls. We want to know what you think. Come on over and let us know. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Thanks for sticking through the break. We're talking today about a topic that may be a little uncomfortable, uh, but it's one that we definitely need to, to focus on. We need to look at it and look at what the implications of that are. Uh, it's not just this, this topic of abortion. It's not just something that belongs to those who would choose it. It's something that we have to look at as people of faith of how we should respond so we're talking with Charlie Camosi. He is an associate professor of theology at Fordham University and a frequent columnist both in the Washington Post uh, and recently also in the Los Angeles Times, among others. Charlie, thanks again for coming on the show today. It's been a great conversation so far, Timothy. So we're talking about this consistent ethic of life. And, and you know, I think that some people... Uh, respond viscerally to it because they hear people speak of the consistent ethic of life, whether it be Cardinal Bernardine or whether it be um, uh, Archbishop uh, Supich right now. And they, they think that in promoting a consistent ethic of life, they are downplaying the importance of abortion. And so they, they see it as as a way to get out of activism about abortion. Whereas, and, and maybe that's the case for some people. When I look at it though, I'm looking at it as a greater challenge, more that I need to be as active promoting the needs uh, of the marginalized and the needs of the oppressed and, and the needs of those who are being, uh, whose life is being squelched out, whether physically or, or uh, structurally, as I am an activist about abortion. And yes, abortion is, is an intrinsic evil where some of the other things that are in there are not intrinsic evils. And yet it doesn't matter if an evil is intrinsic, an evil is an evil is an evil. And so we ought to be opposing evil in every way that we can. Absolutely. And often we find that the evils we face are interconnected, right? So um, poverty is a great evil. In fact, if you read the gospel, it's the one that comes up most. Jesus is most concerned with, with, uh, with people who are rich, um, exploiting people who are poor. Um, well, indeed it's one of the uh, things that cries out. One of the, the four sins that cries out to heaven for justice is that, uh, the poor being oppressed and defrauded of their wages. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but too often, I think, um, our American politics divides Christians and Catholics among those who make the poor their primary concern and those who make prenatal children their primary concern. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is a disaster. <laughs> that, right. is, um, that is the devil at work, it seems to me, in the church. Um, it's an idolatry, right? It's a kind of idolatry of, of secular politics. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I think just to give one example of where those two issues connect in a very mm-hmm. strong way, I teach in the Bronx at Fordham, uh, the abortion rate in the Bronx is 50%. So one in every two pregnancies in the Bronx uh, ends in abortion. Wow. And it's absolutely it's absolutely no accident that the Bronx is also one of the poor, poorest places in the country. I've also so, heard, you heard know, this. We'll, we'll, go ahead. I've also heard the statistic, and tell me if this is true, uh, that there are more uh, African-American children in the Bronx who are aborted than who are born. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely mm-hmm. true. Um, so there's a racial component to this that, that people don't want to talk about as well. And too right. often, again, uh, those on the left want to talk about race and those on the right do not. Um, mm-hmm. it's, 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 all, it's all connected. It's all connected. And, and race is interconnected with poverty, as we know. So, um, 
So too often, again, we make an idol out of our secular politics in ways which, in my view, disconnect these issues from each other. Whereas, as we talked about last segment, Jesus doesn't disconnect them. You know, in, the, in, in Matthew 25, he lists them all together. we got to think about yeah. the most vulnerable altogether. All <clears throat> so we're looking at this, and we see this incredible uh, statistic, one out of two. Uh, and, and, and I just, you know, I— here in, in where I am in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we've just got one abortion facility for the whole half of the state. Uh, and even there, you know, our, our abortion number is uh, what some would consider small, right? It's approximately eight abortions a day if you look at the statistic. But that means that every week we lose the equivalent of a kindergarten class. And yeah. and that's just here in Tulsa. So you go to other places that, that have astronomically more abortions statistically than we do. And, you, you know, I, I think of it in terms of what we as a society are losing. And, you know, you get into the arguments of what would their quality of life be? And that's, that is a connected question. You know, some people say, well, yeah, but, you know, would you want to have an unwanted child? Would you want to have them living in poverty? It's like, no, I, I wouldn't want them living in poverty. But I think that the solution is not to remove the child. I think that the solution is to remove the situation, the poverty, the, 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 all of the other things that are surrounding them that are creating the crisis where the child is not the crisis. The crisis is the, the situation of life that the people find themselves in. Yeah. I also, I also never understood that argument, even as an argument on its own terms. I mean, if, if the, if the, if the argument is we can kill people because we think their lives might not turn out well, well, why not wait to see if their lives don't turn out well, right? So we have mm-hmm. like Oprah and Michael Jordan born in really terrible circumstances. Let's make sure they don't turn, I mean, this is not what I believe, right? But here's the counter argument. Right? Right. Let's make out, make sure they don't turn out to be Michael Jordan or Oprah and then kill them, right? right. <laughs> that would be the better way to go about doing that. But that's not, of course, what people believe. That's absurd, right? So in fact, again, if we care most about the vulnerable, which is thought to be a liberal view, mm-hmm. we don't make judgments about like, whether their lives are better or worth living. We, we need to give them a, what's in Catholic theology is called a preferential option. We need to have more concern for them, not mm-hmm. less. You know, I look at, at society and it seems that we are flirting in our society or, or maybe even having an affair with in our society, the notion of utilitarianism, that you are worth what you produce. Uh, and we don't want to acknowledge that we have that view uh, but it seems that that's in practice what we're doing, right? If you if you turn out okay, if you're producing for society some benefit, whether that be uh, the the emotional pleasure of someone else because you're a wanted child, or whether the, whether it it's an Oprah or a Michael Jordan where you're producing entertainment or value for society, well, then all of a sudden, then your life is worth living. But if you're older and uh, and frail and you're a financial burden on your family, or if you uh, are creating a problem uh, with now you have a conundrum with work because you're pregnant and, and yet you can't afford to feed your family. And so you have to choose between your existing family and an abortion. Uh, now, all of a sudden, we you no longer provide that that benefit. And so your life is no longer worth living. Absolutely. And, you know, I even hear my students um, who are otherwise very good people just use this language um, a productive member of society, right? Like right. that's how they think about this. So 
Um, and then I just sort of try to catch them and say, just listen to yourself. Is that really what you think? You think that's what gives someone value, whether they're, they're productive. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a pernicious, it's a pernicious, um, view in our, in our consumer culture. We, we allow the market to sort of like be the, the evaluator of, of what counts as good. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, if you produce capital, that's good. If you're a nut drain, that's bad. And, and that's utilitarianism, and that's that's not Christianity. That's the, right. In fact, in some ways, it's the opposite of Christianity. So in Christianity, Jesus said we had the two great commandments, that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we're to love our neighbor as ourself. And so that everything that we view comes through our lens of the, the worship of the majesty of God and our view of the dignity of the human person. Uh, and that that extends everywhere. Uh, and the, so you, you hit on one of my little pet peeves, and that's the idea of exalting political theory over Christianity. But now we have, we have a conundrum because we need to be uh, active as Christians. We need to be active in our uh, electoral process. Uh, how do we then, uh, we, become, we become exiles, right? People without a political party. How do we then proceed? And let's look at this in light of the Paying Capable Act that's coming up. How do we uh, talk with our uh, representatives? How do we talk with our legislators when we are a people without a party? Well, um, I think we let people know, first of all, that we are a people without a party, but that we will vote and we will support people that choose to more or less, to a greater or lesser extent, um, uh, support our values. Mm-hmm. And that could be a Republican one, uh, one election. It might be a Democrat, uh, another election, or it might be an independent. Um, uh, I think, I think if Christians actually all decided not to make idols out of the, the two parties, we might actually have a, a system that could offer us more than two choices, right? Yeah. Which is absurd that our complex ideas could possibly boil down into two choices but that's what that's what we currently have let me just give you an example about how this might work practically with the pain capable act for instance so republicans um are have decided to vote interestingly on the pain capable act around the time that pope francis is going to be here in september that should be some fireworks (laughs) um uh uh it will not, uh, it, if, if only Republicans vote for it and it looks like it'll be Republicans with maybe one or two Democrats, yeah. it will not, uh, it will not pass. It will not, it will not get even to, to a vote. It won't pass cloture, which you need 60 votes for in the Senate. Mm-hmm. So what do we need to do? We need to get moderate Democrats to get on which is actually a pretty moderate piece of legislation. Most of Europe has 12 or 13 weeks as their limit. This is 20 right. weeks. Um, how do you do that? Well, I think the way you do that, practically speaking, also happens to be exactly what Catholic teaching demands, which is you, you build in supports for women who are in difficult situations, who would not be able to get an abortion now past 20 weeks. Mm-hmm. And so what Democrats for Life, and I've been working very close with them, has proposed is let's attach mandatory paid maternity leave to the oh, Pain wow. Capable Act. Oh, that's and, excellent. Um, yeah. Um, now, and now strategic, I think it's a brilliant move strategically. It also is the right thing to do. But look at what it does. It forces moderate Democrats to say, are you really going to vote against paid maternity leave to get extreme abortion, um, to keep extreme abortion laws mm-hmm. in this country? It's going to it's going to make them it's going to show them for what they are if they vote against it, which is an extremist. Right. However, I, I actually think I actually think we'll get the Democrat votes. My, my main worry is small government Republicans will say, 
oh, that's not the role of government. You know, we don't want to do that. This is, this mm-hmm. is not, this is going to hurt businesses and jobs. I actually think it wouldn't hurt businesses and jobs to make sure that women could keep their jobs. But, but at any rate, uh, we're going to, uh, so you can see, like, I think this is authentically a Catholic piece of legislation, but it's going to get static from both parties, and we ought to resist both parties and say, no, this is, as pro-lifers and as Catholics, this is the kind of thing we stand for. And, and it, you may not, but we, if you want our support, you're going to have to support this. Excellent. Well, we're past our break time, so we need to go ahead and take a break. But on the other side, we're going to be giving away Charlie's brand new book, Beyond the Abortion Wars. A way forward for a new generation. Join our conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam. We're talking today about a great number of things, about the dignity of the human person and how that plays out in a lot of interconnected ways, whether it be through, uh, through poverty, through imprisonment, through just structures in society, and ultimately how it plays out in the topic of abortion. The dignity of the human person uh, extending all the way to the value of the unborn. Uh, and so we're talking about that today with Charlie Camosi, who is the uh, an associate professor of theology at Fordham University in the Bronx. Uh, surprisingly, Charlie, you don't have a uh, an accent at all that I would have expected. <laughs> I grew up in Wisconsin, so I moved out to the East okay, Coast far after that. Was, that was, <laughs> I was waiting for like Joe Pesci to come out or something. I don't know. <laughs> so you have a, a book that we're going to give away today. A uh, fairly new book called Beyond the Abortion Wars, A Way Forward for a New Generation. Uh, and tell us just a little bit about that book in a short 30-second synopsis. Well, I have a lot of hope, actually. A lot of people think the abortion debate is hopelessly polarized and intractable, but there's a new generation, especially of millennials and Hispanic Americans, I think, that um, are to- in the process, actually, of totally shifting the debate. Okay. away from sort of like us versus them culture war stuff and more of a, in a way of hot, I'm skeptical of abortion, but I want to be able to support women too. Mm-hmm. So let, you know, that's beyond, beyond the wars of those that are on the side of women and the side of the babies instead of, instead of seeing them, you know, more together. Excellent. So we're going to give that book away today. You have a, a trivia question that hits on uh, an encyclical that you have a, a strong connection with. Why don't you go ahead and give us that question? Now, uh, you listening at home, get ready for Google. Uh, actually, this one's because it's out of an encyclical. You can actually go to the Vatican website, vatican.va, uh, and we're going to give you the, the encyclical and kind of where it's located. So it should be a fairly easy question today. It's a great book. Hope to put it in your hands. So get ready to go look that up. And then you can answer by giving us a call at 918-928-KPIM. That's 918-928-5746. Or you can answer on Facebook, facebook.com slash step outside the walls or on Twitter if you have enough characters. Uh, although it's a pretty lengthy statement, so you might not be able to do Twitter. But if you can fit it all in, uh, maybe with some interesting spellings, that that handle is at Outside the Walls on Twitter. So, Charlie, whenever you're ready, go ahead and give us that question. 
So uh, Pope St. John Paul II wrote a great social encyclical, the title of which is Laborum Exercens. And my question comes from paragraph 19 of Laborum Exercens. And the uh, question is, what does John Paul II think is required for the true advancement of women? All right. What does uh, John Paul II think is required for the true advancement of women? All right. What does the true advancement of women require? That's in uh, paragraph 19. Go ahead and look that up. Give us a call, 918-928-KPIM, facebook.com slash step outside the walls, or Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Charlie, thank you so much for this uh, this discussion. It's been invigorating, and perhaps we'll talk with you again once uh, once that's gone through the Senate after after September. Be my pleasure. You know, too often... We avoid this issue like the plague because it's a complex issue and it's one that that has many nuances to it. Maybe we don't know where to begin or maybe we disagree with other people who are currently doing it about the best way to proceed. And that can be disheartening and it can be something that that drives us away from, from really engaging the issue. But this is an issue that needs to be addressed at all levels at the level of just structures in society, at the level of the the dignity of the human person, not only of the unborn, but also of the mother, also of the clinic worker, also of the abortionist themselves. The dignity of the human person uh, extends to all of those people. They're all made in the image of God and bear incomparable dignity. And so we need to uh, approach this topic first in prayer. It's so easy to, to figure out our own solutions and not wait on the voice of God. And, and we want to be proactive and see things done. And so we do things in a way that makes sense to us, but may not be the most righteous way of proceeding. Now, coming up very soon, all across the world, is the 40 Days for Life Vigil. Uh, it's a 40 days of prayer and fasting, of peaceful vigil, and of community outreach. And it's going on in your city. Uh, specifically, if you're in the Tulsa area where I am, I am uh, running that 40 Days for Life program and I could use your help. Uh, so the way that you do that is you go to 40daysforlife.com uh, and then you'll type in slash Tulsa if you're in Tulsa, 40daysforlife.com slash Tulsa. If you're not in Tulsa, then you can search for your area and see where the people in your area are going to pray. Uh, and so we go out and we pray and we have a very visible witness uh, it's not a political thing. In fact, they, they go above and beyond to make sure that politics don't get brought into it. We're out there to pray for all of society to recognize the dignity of the human person, the value which we are given just by virtue that we exist. And so I, I want you to go out there. I want you to, to think about going out and praying once a week, once a, a day, if you have the time, uh, and to make that a priority in your fall. It's going to run from September 23rd to November 1st, and I certainly hope that you will look up the campaign that's in your local area and get involved in this important issue, maybe as a first step. Join the conversation this week over on facebook.com slash step outside the walls, and on Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. Next week, we're talking with Terry Barber, founder of St. Joseph's Communications, about his new book, How to Share Your Faith with Anyone. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.